Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Scott Novis, the founder of Bravis, a company focused on employee retention through live and virtual video game events, on the topic of the problem of employee isolation and how to increase engagement. Welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. And my guest today is Scott Novus, the founder of Bravus, a company focused on helping businesses increase retention by facilitating highly dynamic live and virtual video game events for their employees. I'm excited to dig into that and find out more <laughs> about what you're doing there. He has uh, two engineering degrees and decades spent in the video game industry, including a stint at Disney. I don't know if you're yep. going to expand on that, but he's sure. an expert on all things gaming and the best way to harness their power for good. So I'm excited about this topic. Scott and I were just talking in our preamble warm-up around this, some of uh, some of my experience, like talking on the topic of gamification, like there's a lot we could dig into there, but we're focused today on specifically around that employee isolation and the need to focus on engagement. How do you draw people out of that? And, and that I think really is the future of teamwork. So welcome, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for having me here, Christian. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I'll tell you a story of how we got here. Um, my business, like the big business that started me in this was a company called Game Truck. So we've been doing video game birthday parties for kids for 15 years. Like we have a long history of helping people play together and celebrate and have a great time. And uh, as you might imagine, when COVID hit, that wasn't great for us. Yeah. You know, three days notice, everybody go home, shut down. There's no business. What do you do? Well, like a, probably a lot of your listeners, we went virtual. Like we let go of the office. We found a way to survive. Um, and, you know, thanks to the help of the government and good friends and everything else. And we came out of it, but we realized we're like, wow, we could do this virtual thing really, really well. And I thought we were killing it. I thought, wow, man, my team adapted. We're doing awesome until one of my top employees resigned. And it was something he said in his exit interview. It was like, you know, all this other stuff has nothing to do with me. And I thought, how could that possibly be? You're like one of the most important people. And I realized the trap we had fallen into was that everything we were doing as a remote team was task work. All of it, every meeting, everything was just nothing but task work. And we've got all the great tools and all the great technology, but we'd, I was converting my entire company into a group of Fiverr employees. Like I was unintentionally outsourcing everybody in the company. Yep. Yep. And I, my experience is that people aren't loyal. I don't believe people are loyal to companies. I believe they're loyal to the people they work with. And we, the thing I want to talk about today is the transition we went through and what we learned to, because people use the word engagement all the time. And I'm like, it's a feast word. It can mean lots of things. And so what I want to get into is what we did and what you can do to help recreate connection. And that's really all my companies are focused on human connection. Because I, I think I, I, yeah. I, I want to I want to get into that and talk about, you know, in your approach and some of your experience. Maybe it'll help people too to better understand. Is there anything I left out of your background? It was like 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 development into this this space. <laughs> No, it's just one of those funny things in my, um, my, my background introduction, like just all these, we help people play together, yeah. right? And you're like, well, why do you need help doing that? And I'm like, I don't know, but adults need it more than anybody else. But, and, uh, but I look at this like, and I say, like, you, know, like, you found your way, you created a company around gaming. I had a college roommate that uh, like uh, just a really talented guy and he was on the college on the golf team and we're like, and he was a golf major. I'm like, who majors in golf? Right? What are you, what are you doing? You're, you're out there. Yeah. I almost look at that kind of like art. You have an art degree. So what if it, your art is crap? I know it's subjective, but it, <laughs> there are bad artists that are out there. It's like, but you, you don't need to have a degree to go out and play, play golf. And, but he went and started a golf services business. And we we're like, what are you doing? What are you right. doing? And then he sold it a few years later for millions of dollars. He was the sole owner to Jack Nicholas, his company. Wow. Uh, you know, so I, I look at something like, like this too, uh, you know, what, what was kind of what shaped the company? What was the opportunity that you saw? Well, 
the opportunity that we saw, and it's a, it's been an interesting path um, because entre- entrepreneurship is this: you have an idea, and you know, to paraphrase that famous military aphorism, uh, no business plan survives contact with customers. Right? You put it out there, all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, that is different than what we thought. So we, um, because of Game Truck, we had done so much work with kids. I started seeing this massive shift, and I was like, the the coaches, the people that are running the events. We're having this outsized impact on the kids. I thought maybe we should work with kids more than two hours a year. So we started putting together, we thought we're going to be esport leagues for kids. And we still do some of that work. What we were ahead of the curve is parents weren't ready for it. It sounded like a good idea for somebody else's kid. And we we're like, well, maybe that didn't work. What caught us was the college market. Because once the kids leave home, two things happen. They move away from all their friends and they move away from their family. Their two biggest support networks completely evaporate and they go to college. And now colleges are massive. They are humongous. And especially if you pick like STEM students, science, technology, engineering, and math, a lot of introverts. They'll go to a class with 200 people because they don't have to talk to anybody. They don't want to go to a social event with 200 people because they don't know what to do. So we were basically pulled into the college market to run our kind of events with um for college kids to help them make friends and that's the way we started thinking about it i want to host an event where you could make a friend and so we did the thing you need to know about video games it's unusual in this aspect you're familiar with first person storytelling i did it third person he or she did it video games is storytelling in the second person you did it this is your story so in all the experience I had at Disney and all the time, my gameology is like 15 published video game titles and tens of millions of units sold. And we're always trying to create an awesome experience for you. So there's a lot of psychology, a lot of design. So we took our events and said, how do we create an event where we connect people? And a good example is you're familiar with tournaments, the final four, we're watching it right now, college football. What's interesting is that a tournament is just a list sort. You're just sorting a list of things, trying to get to number one. And the way we always do it in sports is it's lossy. Throw away everybody who's not number one. And you do not have to sort a list like that. There are lossless list sorts. And so we created a tournament format that uses a bubble sort. We're constantly sorting the audience against themselves. So instead of eliminating people, we're accumulating winners. And that turned out to be enormously popular with the college market. As you might imagine, people are spending more time together, they're playing together, they're getting to know each other, and it was a huge smash. And when COVID hit, we had to go virtual. So how did I get where I'm doing this now? To go back to my opening story, all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, we need what we've been doing for other people. We aren't having the opportunity to do the key to this is called unstructured conversations. So they're unplanned, but we have time together. That's why we made friends easily in school. The structure of school forced us all to hang out together while we waited for things, right? right? We're waiting for go to recess. We're waiting to go to the lunchroom. We're waiting, whatever. And we were like marbles in a jar rubbing up against each other. So we talked. And you think about traditional office-based layout, like where the break room is, how the halls are set up. Everybody hated open planning, but what it created was more opportunity for people to interact in unplanned and unstructured ways, and that created the door for connection. And I thought, if we're only on work, only online, only working, only talking to each other, only doing task work, everything's pre-planned, everything's predestined, everything's organized in performance execution, and we're missing the human element. I thought, we got to fix this. So we basically decided we have to create events for adults and it has to include everyone in the company, not just the gamers. And let me tell you, um, your audience might, they're probably technically savvy enough to not appreciate how technical video games are, but imagine trying to get your mom into a video game. That's the problem we thought we have to solve. You know, it makes me think about your two different models. So uh, early in my career, early 90s, I was working for EDS in Sacramento, California, Rancho Cordova. 
uh, working for the EDS Medical account, which is massive. And uh, that was a company, you know, wear a suit every day. I got trained formally on the uh, JAD-RAD process, the Joint Application Design, Rapid Application Design concept right. where like I was new I went through the formal training without having been through one yet I got trained on it to help run it with engineering teams inside the organization and that's where we would you know sequester we're, we're solving a problem we're developing a product or an interface or something and we literally sequestered the group with all the stakeholders managers there's like if there's right. somebody in the room representing an, uh, one of the business units, marketing or operations or, or the customer. And they were like, well, I'm not authorized to make that decision. Like, nope, you're the wrong person. We would pause that we need to have the decision maker in the room so right. that we could make decisions, agree to things and develop that. And we did this and it was, you know, three to five days of all these people forced to be sit together in a room right. walking through this where literally we go through the morning we give we take an extra long lunch so that the the developers that were sitting there they're actually building wireframes or actually coding and would show us that that's a question day. awesome do you remember laughing during those times were of there course. ever moments because that was the the best part of that and i'm shocking i'm kind of a people person i'm like i get energy from talking with people from collaborating in events and that kind of stuff and so here i was stuffy environment if we're in suit what's funny is that we had to wear suits because we were on site with the client which is the state of california the healthcare professionals yeah. none of whom wore suits i we're, get you yeah anyway but it was my first opportunity and i've been there about six months where I was interacting with these people and joking and joking around and having fun and in getting to know them as people, which helped with the overall process. There were people, we were sequestered, they were decision makers, they agreed to be there, yet were still withholding information. They were pushing back against the process. And then as we started to get to know each other and having those conversations, a funny thing happened. They started sharing more and being more open about now, you know, that really, uh, uh, like, I understand what you guys are doing, but here's why that doesn't fit. And they would share more of that or try to articulate right. what they, what they weren't, they couldn't, you know, or, or like, and it, it, it's a process. From my perspective, you are running a real life action version of Minecraft, right? A yeah. group of people trying to solve a hard problem and working together. And those those social elements that you saw there, we get that for free when we're together in person. And when we're using collab tech, if we're collaborating electronically, we have to be super intentional about it. Yeah. And that was the piece that we started to see is that, look, there's some amazing things that are happening now because of the, I think COVID accelerated a shift to remote work. Uh, one of my other top guys, uh, amazing uh, commentator, um, he's like, can I move to Minneapolis? And I'm like, I don't know where you sit right now. Like, as long as you have an internet connection and you're there, go wherever you want to go. And we're now spread coast to coast where we were all heavily consolidated. We're based in Arizona. 90% um, of us were in Arizona. And now we're slowly spreading out and anybody anywhere could be a candidate to be part of our team. And that's been incredible. But that magic you had of being locked together, how do we recreate that and that's what I love about gaming is that I can take your professional risk away because nobody expects you to be serious in a game. But here's the thing we've learned about gaming. If I'm going to teach you a course, let's say I was going to sit down and teach you like how to use an MP. You talked about the process. I'm going to teach you how to use a better process, rapid scrum, whatever, you know, the agile development. Over and over again, psychology teaches that during the, during the time that I'm the teacher and you're the student, you're going to adapt your behavior to my expectations. You just can't help it. We all do it. Flip the role. I'll do it to you. You teach me. I will behave in a way that I think you expect me to behave. I put you in a video game. All that falls away. You can only behave as yourself. So your personality, the way you work in teams, the way you do your work is what comes out in a game. And so we put people at play, more of their true selves come out. And I think that's one of the reasons adults need help playing. They need permission to play. And that was one of the key insights we had is that you, you need a host, almost like a facilitator. 
Like if you've ever done a serious implementation, maybe it's an entrepreneurial operating system, or like you said, you're going to implement a new methodology and a new framework. It's worth it to get the facilitator because it's hard to be in the team and outside the team at the same time. Like, you know, you're like, no, I need somebody else to take on the burden of holding the space that we're all going to play in together. And that was one of those why I see so few companies, my opinion, there's some great solutions out there and people struggle to use them. And I, and I get it. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's great to see when solutions, and we see there's a lot of, with a lot of software that, uh, you know, enterprise software that's out there today, a lot of collaboration, productivity solutions, desktop solutions. I think of like the office suite, the things like that. There are mm -hmm. templates that are out there. Like I, I love, I'm a big fan of Microsoft has their whiteboard app and it's been out there. There's been variations on it, things that have been out there. Well, one of the things that they did that's out there, you know, people like I looked at it and be like, oh, okay, people that knew what it was, how to utilize it, okay. But when they developed like 20 different templates, you know, to see it then take off from there, when even then it still is good to have somebody who knows how to utilize those things to go oh. and leverage those templates and, and show you how to do it. I mean, I always like it. Like I, I saw so I had a good friend who was uh, got his master's in music composition. We did a bunch of studio projects. I sang in a rock band in the early nineties. <laughs> I like that, that kind of stuff. And it would a bunch of things in the studio. Some and he had all the pro tools, all the setup. And, and I would go in and we'd record a bunch of stuff and I'd go in there and tweak and do remixes myself. And I'm just like, Hey, this is really easy. Then I downloaded pro tools, got it from my home system and realized that I don't know how the hell to set this thing up. <laughs> oh, I can't do it to get to it. Now it's come a long way, but this, yes. this was in the, uh, in the mid to late nineties, you know, that there's, it was like, it's like going in there, like any of the, the architectural tools, the drafting tools or things like, like I could get it conceptually how the pieces move around. Like I'm not competent in it to do something, to create something. Yeah. And, and I, I totally, I, I'm totally that's with we're having, a facilitator, sort of these, having those experts yeah. on board and leveraging them. We had uh, speaking of audio, like one of the things that happens in video game development is usually the audio guys get the shaft. They get the game at the very end. There's no resources left because the graphics and physics guys have used them all. And we had a phenomenally talented audio engineer and the designer came in going, I want when you when you pass the, the finish line, I want swish splat ding, but I want the splat more crunchy than wet. I'm like, that's the specification dude comes back with one of the most satisfying sounds you've ever heard when you finish the race. And it was exactly like, I don't know how he did it. And it was that element of even when you have the tools, sometimes having somebody with a real passion, talent, and insight can unlock their potential in ways you couldn't imagine. Cause I have all those tools. Like I could go buy the same golf clubs as Tiger Woods, but I'm not going to swing the way he is. But, but also I think we're, you're, you just pointed out that there, we have the unsung heroes of the folio artists because that they're, so much that they add to that layer to movies, to TV that we are unaware of. <laughs> well, and I think that's true of every team. There are unsung heroes and people that are, um, like you said, having a facilitator, using the tools and setting it up. But there are people that have that capacity and insight. And I think, you know, our, our intention when we look at culture and we look at working together is that like you pointed out, I love that story. You're locked in a room with all of these different people and different perspectives. You got them aligned, got them oriented, and got them trusting each other to solve a hard problem. And I think that's business today. And the psychology of what we've seen, I don't know if you're familiar with Amy Edmondson's work, uh, Google's Project Aristotle, um, really fascinating. Like this is sort of the big insight I've gotten over the past couple of years. A lot of traditional leadership management tech, you, you talked about that, has one fundamental flaw. Um, and it's baked into our culture. We're highly individualistic. So we're going to train you how to be a great leader. The problem is it's only half the equation to have a high performance team. And the, the reason is fairly obvious. You talk to usually one person at a time. So we're going to give you all the best techniques for you to lead a person. And the idea is that collectively, if you lead a bunch of individuals, there'll be a team. You're the hub and all those tools are the spokes. What does the wheel look like? What does the rim look like? What does the rubber look like? Yeah. It's the cross-person communication that we're missing. 
And that's what remote teamwork really, really fractured. And that's the space a lot of these collab tools work. And that's the space where there's a gap in leadership is how do we create either a distributed leadership model or self-leading teams to where people can, you know, intertwine. It's equally as important how your teammates talk to each other than as how the leader talks to the team. And like, that's that gap. And that's what, you know, a lot of what we do with play is there's like a couple of different pieces to it. But if there was a roadmap, I'd be like, like tool number one is if you've got an audience, like if you've gone recently gone work from home and if you, if you haven't, you should do this. And if you're an IT manager, you should be the hero and do this, form a fun committee. And, and there's, there's a super important reason to do that. The people that are in most desperate need for socialization are gonna join that committee. So you're gonna immediately take care of the people that are highest risk of detaching from your company. That, that's a great that, that's a great point around you know coming from a technology evangelism background, a bit you know product management and marketing that that side of things is I, I'm a huge advocate for no matter what your business is to figure like a, a defining uh, you know like a champions uh, you know program within the organization. And so much of it is exactly that point. You're by highlighting and recognizing the additional, the over and above work that this, it's not saying, hey, they're a better employee than everybody else that's doing their, their jobs. It's almost it's identifying an additional need for some of those people to go and help others and give them the opportunities and recognize them for that, for that work. It's just built into some people, community-minded people that want to go learn and help others and look for, and, it, and there's nothing wrong with people that are just like, hey, you know, I don't have time. I don't have bandwidth they, to, to go and deliver on their commitments, their folks, their goals for their role and being a, a member of that team. Like we need the majority of, of people to be that role, but you know, the others, you know, they're, they're, there's a, this natural uh, you know, state where they want to help others and they're part of their happiness, you know, the growth within that role to keep them in the organization is giving them opportunities to go and do more, to, to be that advantage the champion. Yeah. The busiest guy in my company uh, ended up being the champion for it because it's, he's a marketer. It's super social, super important. And he's like, this matters. And so it became an outlet and guess who he attracted all the other people that were feeling disconnected and then they became the champions for how are we going to connect? So it's really like three parts to this. And number one is if you just form the fund committee, that is going to be you know, add value. There's no additional cost. And then the second one is the types of things we've seen them coordinate are, again, um, intentional social time where people are getting to know each other. It's that unstructured conversations and it's more of like what's happening in your personal life. Because like I said, I believe people are loyal to their teams and the people they work with, not necessarily a brand or that's just too abstract, right? Who's counting on you? Who's depending on you for work? And are you creating those opportunities for people to intermingle? And, you know, some business processes have sort of the, hey, let's open with a fun backstory. And I think, uh, or where'd you go on vacation? And that's a good start. But we need more intentionality of that. And certainly at least once a week, um, some intention about people going, how we're going to connect. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting, I think this came out of Zoom recently. I was blown away. Um, they added their plugin architecture. And sure enough, games is part of their plugin architecture. And I'm thinking, okay, people are rec beginning to recognize. And Simon Sinek recently put out a thing about you got to play at work. So there's this recognition that, um, we can't just grind endlessly. We need to do something, but how do you act on it? How do you move it forward? And, you know, the low hanging fruit is first of all, find the people in your organization that care about that and empower them to care about it. And, you know, maybe you don't have zoom, like we're on a zoom call now, but maybe you're on Google meet is there's other opportunities to get out there and do game, you know, interact and play. It's that hurdle of, I'll tell you one, like a super uh, fun one that we've had a lot of success with is Among Us. So it's a subterfuge game. So it's a bit like, um, you know, somebody in the game is a trader, 
which is like, what? Why would you do that? I'm like, wait, because everybody else is working together and you get to rotate. It's like, you know, it, it ends up being one of these things where it stresses a lot of the social dynamics of groups anyway. Who's telling the truth? How are they telling the truth? What are they doing? Um, you can run it on a, download it on a phone. It runs on everything, but it does crossplay, So everybody can get in the game. And one of the things that um, having a fun committee is really important because they can support the people that would be intimidated uh, by technology. And they're, they're out there. Look, we've got four generations in the workforce today, right? We got boomers are still working. Uh, you know, I'm Gen X. It's not, yeah. that I don't Let's, trust you. I just That's don't a believe, big mistake right? that many organizations Why, make is they, they think that, hey, because we know how to use Microsoft Word or we've done this, that we just automatically and utilize and in the right way, in the most efficient way, the technology that's put in front of us. And I, I think that's a, it's a huge gap with a lot of organizations. Yeah. I had an intellectual property attorney who could not log into a video game. It was rough because this is a very successful, proud individual who makes a living off of understanding the cutting edge of technology was flummoxed. So support yeah. is a big deal. And that's the second piece I would say is if you have people make it, you want to make people feel welcome. Like it's the most important thing. You wouldn't want play to be shameful for anybody. And so having the committee, one of their responsibilities is to make sure everybody feels welcome and everybody feels included. And there's one other aspect that, uh, people of our generation, and I'm saying that because you're a young fellow like I am, um, but in Gen Z, they get it. People will watch people play video games. This being having an audience is like, it's okay to watch. It's okay to give people time. And that's probably one of those technology things of uh, having somebody that can stream or broadcast or send it back out. You talked about OBS. Um, there's a variety of tools out there, but the capacity that not everybody's ready to play initially. And that's the one thing adults need time to warm up to an idea. That was like, that was the big thing from project Aristotle is impression management is that it's a, it's a totally natural outcome of a healthy thing. It's an unhealthy one. Unfortunately, we want to know what to do. We want to be able to do it. Okay. Simple, except if we get in a situation with high uncertainty and pressure to perform, we may not know what to do. We don't know if we can do it. We clam up and it makes yeah. us rigid and it shuts us down and it cuts us off from learning. That, that's and a fundamental problem with, with piloting. And I've, I've talked about this a number of times. It's where organizations want, want to pilot. It doesn't matter what the technology, what it is. They want to go in and pilot this thing or this practice, but then they'll not build the pilot around a business essential like problem area or customer or something rather they'll put it in some like background. Hey, no, no real effect, whatever. So they don't get a battle tested version of that. They don't really truly get to have a kick the tires experience right. with that thing. And that's, unfortunately, that's the most common approach is that uh, fundamental mistake. So, piloting. Right. So what happens when you roll out the pilot, you hammer it with uncertainty and time pressure, and then people panic and freak. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of the thing that we, you know, one of the advantages of play is if you do it, you can set up, like we created this thing. Um, I call it culture kitchen. And so we took a video game. It's a cooperative game. There's more and more cooperative games out there. This one happens to be overcooked, but you could use tools up, moving out. There's a bunch of them. And what we would do is throw people into the game and go figure it out. But what we want you to do is be aware of the emotions you're feeling and it, over and over again, I've done this hundreds of times and you, people come out and they're frustrated. I'm like, well, why did you think you were going to be good at it? You've never done this before. What were your expectations for yourself? And that becomes the crux of when people, how I understand psychological safety is you as an individual of this team have a responsibility to make it safe for the other people on your team to learn. And the reciprocation is they should make it safe for you to learn. And getting honest about, hey, we're going to be bad at this because it's the first time, but we will get better becomes a real like learning curve. And that's the heart of the whole experience is it's really experiential for people as they're living it going, oh, yeah, God, it's like that when we rolled out this new software. It was like this at work where we did this thing. And um, 
you know, so getting people into that situation where they get a chance to practice, like, yeah, the tool's important, but you're a gamer. You don't realize it, but you're a video game designer. You have designed a solution for someone else to use. You're designing a story in the second person. You're going to use this. Have you thought through what the impact is going to be? And, you know, one of the ways I like gaming because we can play at those things and not take them so seriously. No, but that, so that uh, again, it goes back to what you know, my, that Jad Rad experience. I also just, it made me think what you, how you just described that too, is I was uh, lucky early in my career, I was working for a, a startup, a VC funded startup uh, in the Bay area. And uh, that we hired a, a team of UX developers. And uh, so this was back in 2001 and <laughs> We, we hired this team. So it was still like a relatively- Sorry, I just remember UI dedicated. in 2001, yeah. yeah. Hey, that we developed a UI, that product that I helped build and design and launch uh, at the end of 2001 uh, looked pretty much the same for the next 12 to 15 years. Oh, and I believe it's different it. now. Like it was a beautiful UI. But the going through that experience where- you know, the, you had, I usually had as I was going through in each rev of the interface and the functionality, and I'd have people sitting on either side of me, looking at where I'm clicking on screen, asking me questions about that. What did you expect to happen there? If I like, oh, and I click there, nothing happened. I move over to something else. Like to that level, go through weeks of that experience. And, and so you started to be, again, very much, you were kind of shelled up, you know, off, you, you were very uh, you know, nervous, like, what, what am I sharing? What am I talking about? Toward the end of it, we're joking about it. We're, you know, comment. And, and so, so much more, you know, information came out of it later. It, it makes me think about, like, one of the kind of the fundamentals of collaboration, one of the things that we intuitively understand around collaboration, not the technology, but a collaboration, the broader sense of that, is right. that we all get more out of it when more of us put into it. Oh, like, when, when we're, like, think about that, if your more intellectual property is created when you're sharing, think, and I tried to simplify it and say like, oh, like, let's say that there's a hundred people in your organization and only 20 of those hundred people are actively collaborating together on mm -hmm. things and they're doing well, they're meeting or exceeding goals for the company and developing product things. But just think of what is the lost opportunity of the other 80 people not participating. Now, if we have 60 of the eight of the hundred people participating, how much more will we create? How much better will the ideas that we collaborate on be, you know, that the, the intellectual property that's generated, uh, you know, that from that collective, it only gets bigger and stronger, better improved when there's, more I, I totally agree. And it, it's even better than that. Right. Cause that was like, here's kind of like to put it in perspective if you don't have an environment that supports that kind of collaboration there's uh uh dr Emmons said like four types of companies so you can end up with four cultures one of them like to put it like the lowest level is the miserable people doing a miserable job that customers hate it'd be easy to pick on the department of motor vehicles how about spirit airlines or legion flown them like they're like let's get this miserable experience over with Many companies end up in that mediocre middle where they don't even get 20 out of 100 contributing. Think about walking into a cell phone company. They look at you going, hey, I'm nice. You're nice. I can't really help you. You know that. So we're just going to kind of suffer through this together and go on our day and it'll be okay. A lot of us get fooled by the high performance team, the professional sports team, and they overlook how toxic some of those teams could be because they just look at performance. Look at them. Like, if you want to know what that's like, look at uh, ESPN's The Last Dance. It was the Bulls' 1996 final championship season. And if you are going to model team building after professional sports, I really encourage you to dig in and take a look at the incredible turnover those teams have. My oldest son was um, on a, a championship baseball team in college. And after they won the conference, we're like, let's go celebrate. I expected to go out with everybody on the team. We went out with him and his roommates. I'm like, None of the starters went out together. 
Yeah. So what's left? I just just saw it was just in the news like last week, Scotty Pippen talking about a lot of the difficulties had with uh, with uh, comments that have been made. And 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 so how decades later, yep, decades later, like the wind didn't solve those those wounds. So what are you left with? Pixar. Right. They love what they do. They love who they work with and their customers cherish what they create. I mean, that's a dynasty if there ever was one in original property, creative thinking, how they build their, like, amazing. Like, how do you get that culture? And that was what I think Google was trying to get after. And what we're trying to get after is that space where when you get everybody else involved, not only do you get more collaboration, but what we keep overlooking is the learning and collaboration is part of the tool the common understanding that this is the best way to do it permeates everybody and it accelerates adoption, it accelerates skill development, and it accelerates impact. So it's not just enough, a bunch of the, oh, everybody's got to have ideas. It's also the buy-in that we have as human beings um, are so powerful in our capacity to work together. We work together best when we all share in the creation of the story. And to me, ultimately, that's what collaboration is, is we're collaborating and creating the story together. It's long form improv. We're going to do right. this for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And if you leave half the actors out, you're going to spend a lot of time bringing them up to speed and wondering why it's so difficult for them. So you brought up the some of the the, the general generalization. Huh. The uh, the the age differences, sorry, the generational differences. Yes. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Um, I mean, as a child of the, of the 70s, like I, I grew up with, you know, the the uh, Atari console and, right. you know, straight into we had the first Mac and then I, you know, early 90s in, got into PCs and playing, you know, console to PC game back to console now to, uh, you know, a mixture of of console, which is on par with the computing power of my workstation here. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, as well as the online games, and I—it's funny—I don't classify myself as a gamer, but I kind of spend a bit too much time on Skyrim and you know Shadow of War, <laughs> and uh, I still play a huge Team Fortress Two guy. But you know, with all of that, is there still some stigma around with the generations around? Uh, you know, games and gaming, gamification in, in general, this kind of stuff. Like I, I would 100%. expect anybody Gen X and younger is uh, like, gets it, understands the differences. Well, but I've, I've ha- also seen like parents, like I know personally parents who have kids who are more on the introverted side of things that it's a problem. It's yeah. like they, it, they went deeper into their, their mind caves, you know, into game right. and, and the virtual and, and so, you know, so what is, how do you kind of unlock that and deal with that? Okay. Great, great question. So there's a couple of things. I actually do a keynote talk on the three secrets confident parents use to manage games at home. So if you know anybody, um, that is a passion project of mine because there's suffering happening in the home that doesn't need to happen. And it's like parents aren't given good, it's hard for them to get good access to the information on how to effectively manage games, uh, especially with their kids. And um, so that's a a, a thing that's important to me. But what you're touching on is the gaming is generational. When you hit the Atari and the younger one, the, the, the older games, they were interesting, but ultimately boring. And there's a human nature element that when we experience something, we keep expecting it to just behave that way for the rest of time. But technology doesn't do that. It keeps evolving and changing. So the people that came in, like when you did said, oh, this is what gaming is. Then I really got back into gaming during the server era where you had, uh, you know, Counter-Strike and you had all of these people setting up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Set up your own private server. Well, the giant breakthrough happened when uh, two giant things happened. Gaming moved to the cloud and the publishers took over all of the servers. And... The other thing was when they created esports, professional competitive video gaming. And I think part of the reason the NBA has invested so heavily in esports is they understand that's the next out group. Like hip hop was in the 90s, gaming is today, and it's coming at us like a tidal wave. So a lot of your new Gen Z workers, like gaming is how they interact with the world. And when we look at, when you talked about whether you want to say addiction, um, there's a lot of 
trend, you know, there's three big fears parents have around gaming. Um, and I'm going to talk about the one related to addiction and the most like, oh my, the waste of time. There's two factors there. One, um, most people that play games casually, I'm talking about like on your cell phone. So Bejeweled, maybe Candy Crush, maybe you're into words with friends. I, I'm even falling to date what the hottest games are on the phone. They are literally engineered to waste your time. That's, that's what they're designed for. They're casual oh, and, and I think something that a game like Clash of Clans, not just waste your time, but also uh, um, nickel and dime you to death with all oh, of the- more than nickels and dimes. Oh, it's I know. It's a huge business. business. Yep. The, so, it's a fun game too. That's part of it. It's, uh, well, yeah, as we've I'm all sure designed. that they've, you know, it has illicit drugs we've, we've woven into well, the, the code. Well, actually, <laughs> it, it shares a lot in that- um, I was never part of a team that tried to make an addictive game. I was part of a team and all the teams I was on and managed. And even at my time at Disney, we wanted to make in a very competitive environment, the most satisfying content we could create. And so in a core game and you're getting closer with clash, but the games that you mentioned are radically different than time-wasting casual games. In this sense, you face a hard problem, you develop skills and you persist until you overcome. And that is really compelling. And what happens is, so I look at it this way, a video game is a job you're going to pay me to work at. Imagine if your business was so good that the work was designed so well that people would pay you to work for your company. That's the video game industry. And it's tough. Most games never get a lot of traction. There's hundreds of console releases every year. People pay attention to like five. The number of independent games is insane. It is really difficult to get into that narrow band. And they focus on triggering what Daniel Pink wrote in his book called Drive, intrinsic motivation. We want to motivate you internally. And my point on this is there's no other domain that adults have so completely abandoned kids as video games. We just walked away from it. We, we don't do that with fishing. We certainly don't do it with sports. Can you imagine if it was like that with cars? Look, kid, I'm never going to drive. Um, they scare me, but here's the keys. Good luck, figure it out. What would traffic look like? It'd be insane. Hello, video games. So part of this is taking this technology that has now reached a plateau where you can play anywhere with almost anyone. And that's the, that was the downside of the cloud. To keep you safe, we'll never introduce you to somebody you don't know who could walk over to your house and meet you. So we systematically isolate players. Wow. So it's actually hard to play with friends. And if there's a weird niche that my company, everything we do is only about playing with people you know. Like, how do you get together with people you work with? How do you get together with people you go to school with? We want you to actually engage with people you can hang out with. And that's the whole, like, if there's a thing that I'm an advocate for is don't let the fear of gaming and all its stigmas and stereotypes and things that are really designed to scare you. If I keep you scared, if the media can keep you scared, they can keep you engaged and they win. Usually my feeling is if you read something or come across something that gets your blood bubbling, you just bought something you didn't want to buy. They just sold your attention to somebody else. This technology can be used to bring people together in a safe environment. You don't have to be physically gifted. You don't have to have any man, woman, race, gender, none of it matters. And you can pick activities you can do together cooperatively and collaboratively and create those shared experiences to let you have those unstructured conversations. Is done correctly, a great video game experience can be an environment where you can make friends and, and reform friendships. We've been doing it for 15 years. So, you know, that is really the, 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 the thing that's out there is while we're looking at collaboration, practice. Practice where it doesn't matter. Practice with a game. Practice with all the things that make you uncomfortable. Perfect. Because right. guess what? If they show up in a video game, they show up at work too. We just give them different labels. That a game is a safe place to work them out. And once you get that kind of synergy going, uh, your team can do almost anything. Which uh, probably maybe this is a good kind of final topic here. So I see that you your company also offers a uh, a, a toolkit for communities so that they can actually build something, you know, at, whether a formal recreational esports program there within their community or a company could start. So I don't know if you could tell me more about that. Well, we've, um, the things I've been talking about of like starting the fun community and picking games and setting up activities um, 
is we've got a, a, a free ebook. You can download it. Um, it'll be on our website. I'll give make sure you have the link. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to say it out loud because in a podcast, you're like, you're going to write down this super long thing. Uh, no. yeah. it, it'll be right. in the associated blog post. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, what we want to do is make sure that people um, are aware of what they can do. And obviously, you know, we're also there to help. And that's probably one of the biggest questions I get is like, I don't want to do this, but I want to have the fun. And so people are like, Scott, can you help me? And I'm like, well, the answer is yes. <laughs> of course we can help. Um, and I, I often joke when people ask, what do you do? And I'm like, well, we make it fun to watch bad video games. And so we bring out really entertaining hosts um, that are experts at games. So that's the other part. It's To me, it's about the people connection. I'm not a big fan of computer-made matches where you're playing in silence, you don't know each other. We want people to hear each other. And we want people to like, like it, like it feels like a little league game with a with an announcer. Like, hey, Christian's coming up to bat. You're like, yeah, you know, like that's the feeling we want to help create for people. Um, and so, you know, when we do things, and we'll tell you how to do this, um, is you know who's doing the technical support and hosting the game and setting everybody up, and then who's basically the MC of the event? Who's the the moderator? That that personality that is going to make sure that everybody feels included and not left out. And um, you know, like one of our 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 biggest criteria is unique chats. So when we're done with events, we'll go back through and we want to go. How many people are talking? How many people are engaging? How much conversation actually transpired? Here's the dirty secret. I don't care about winners. It's yeah. easy to get winners. Right. Um, if winning is the only thing, you lose a lot. What we want to do is help you architect an experience where people are playing together and participating the entire time. And when that happens, that's that's the collaboration you talked about. That's the engagement. It it, it puts those seeds in place for people to work together better. That, that's always the, for organizations, the difficulty is, is looking at something like this and, and you can intuitively, again, understand the value of this kind of collaboration of gamification of getting involved with this. Any organization though is going to ask, okay, what are the numbers out of there? What are the quantifiable results of this activity? And more important is changes over time you're not going to be able to you need a baseline go and do that activity to be able to see okay we're seeing you know more of these conversations the collaborations that are happening where there's uh you know a deeper interaction it's not the uh, i don't know if you do this and measure this in some of the activities but you know looking at your first tier connections your second tier and third tier connections uh, and whether how many how many new conversations where we might do this activity, you know, weekly, and I might then still be chatting with the same people, working with the same people. Um, but if we can actually show, no, they're actually, we're getting this cross business unit. We're getting people to go outside of their daily working teams across the company. We're so new at this. We don't have the data. And I it's absolutely on... Uh, we're currently in the point of where we're surveying people and we're getting feedback from clients on the overall working experience. But I love what you're talking about because that really would be um, the, there's, especially with tools like Teams, uh, the capacity to begin to gather data on the, the nature and flow of conversations. Like all of that is possible. I just think during this era of the great resignation, teams may not have enough time to figure that out. And it's like, uh, this is relatively inexpensive. Like for, look, even if you hired us for less than cost one person to fly to your headquarters, put them up in a hotel, feed them, get them a rental car. Uh, how about entertain your entire team and engage them for an hour or two, which is more efficient, more respectful of their time, lower stress on you. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, like that's the risk reward. Like the risk of doing these things is so low why wouldn't you? The risk of not doing them, well, you're seeing the statistics. And I saw my own, co my own company, like my, my big win was a guy that somebody went after my, my head of marketing in a big way. I'm like, we can't compete with them. And at the end of the day, it was culture and connections to the rest of the people on the team that he said, I can't imagine having another environment where he felt that connected, he would have that big an impact, and it mattered that much to him personally, he had the choice and that's the work environment, especially for your knowledge workers. They're gonna have the choice. And now that we've sort of broken 
location as a barrier to where, where people are going to work, these companies are going to have to come up with better reasons to work there than pay and benefits. And the environment becomes an even bigger deal. And how are you supporting your people, especially on technology performance oriented teams? It's like, those are the teams that have the highest risk of burnout. And, you know, I'll leave you with this thought because we're we're getting near the end as I really believe that, especially for your audience where they've got team members that, look, you're a good leader because you care about your people's well-being. You're a good leader because you're always looking for ways. You're listening to podcasts like this and how you can improve your tools and your knowledge, how you can work together more effectively. You're a good leader because you make your time and attention and care about this issue. You're a good leader. That's uh, like, like anything. It's uh, you know, people that uh, you're know, the first step in any solving any problem is being self-aware and recognizing, hey, that there's a need that's out there. You may not have the answers, but the fact that you're aware that there's an issue and make it a point of a discussion. And let's talk about what can we do. Um, I think you know, we'll, uh, and then to have tools. I mean, I go back to, you know, the whiteboard and have the templates and having the options that are out there. Having tools like like these, these gamification capabilities, these gaming tools out there is something which, you know, it's, it, there's an opportunity to go and to leverage these kinds of things and learn from, and maybe culturally it's not a fit for your organization, um, and, but you can try that, learn from that experience and have then a better understanding of, hey, hey, what we need to do next time, or hey, this worked, we got the data, we got results out of this, let's continue down this path, let's continue to build on this success. But the, the point is, recognize that there's a need and try to do something. You can't measure something that's not moving forward. You've got to, you've got to try some things. That's why I right. go back to pilots, you know, but uh, well, Scott really appreciate your time. This is a great topic. I know we could go on for a couple more hours. I've oh, got sure. other questions that, that I had prepared that we didn't get to oh, sorry. around this. No, it's all right. No, it's, it's uh, they're there in case, uh, you know, well, you know, you might just have to invite me back someday, but yeah, we'll, see. We'll, we'll have to have you back. But well, Scott, really appreciate the time again. The, uh, the, the company is Bravis and Scott Novus. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was an honor. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Ducks Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast.